Um, I want to start every week by just sharing a word of encouragement to you about your pastor. Not that you need to hear it from me. But there may be uh, no other single person or couple that has been more influential in my life or my family's life than Ray and Grace. And you guys need to know that. So with that said, before I get into the sermon this morning, let's pray for them. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful that we are gathered here as your people to proclaim your goodness, to worship your holy name, to be instructed by your good word. Father, fill us with your spirit so that we may be cut to the heart and offered up as a living sacrifice. We thank you for ministers of the gospel, for Pastor Ray and Grace. We ask that you would comfort them and protect them as they take time away now to rest and be restored and be rejuvenated for the ministry that you have called them to. We praise you for their labor of love, for the joy that they exude as they shepherd your people. We ask these things and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Francis Schaeffer said, It is not too strong to say that we are at war, and there are no neutral parties in this struggle. One either confesses that God is the final authority, or one confesses that Caesar is Lord. In the reading of God's word, you will see that God himself has established three spheres of government. Self or family government, you can put those two together. Church government and civil government. And all three of these types of government are delegated under his autonomous authority. They point to his holy character and they rest upon his perfect word. So self and family government, let's put those two together, that is... Um, the call for the, individu the individual to be holy as he is holy, 1 Peter chapter 1. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Wives are to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. And children are to obey their parents. That's Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. Christian homes are to be ordered in Christ who fills all things. That is a summarization of family government. Church government is where church members, the called out people of God, gather around his word, empowered by his spirit, and become a part of an ecclesiastical government. We are the called out ones of the world, and Jesus tells us that the church is the temple of the living God. And on top of this, we have been given the keys of the kingdom. And with these keys, the church leadership can bind and loose within the church. Matthew chapter 16, verses 19. Then those who lead the church are called to excommunicate unrepentant sinners, Matthew chapter 18, and even settle some legal matters, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is a different sphere of authority and of government. Then the civil government, which is what many of you are just waiting for me to get to in a couple of weeks. It will not be as amazing as you think, just take it easy. The civil government, often referred to as the state, this is also instituted by God himself. And those who minister or who are elected to office are considered God's ministers, God's deacons. He has placed them there, and we should honor them as such. The state is instituted by God to punish the evildoer, and those who are elected into these offices are to avenge the evildoer by wielding the sword, Romans chapter 13. This will be our path for the next three weeks, learning what God has said about each one of these fears, 
And today, we will focus on what God has said about the government of family. The government of family. Today, more than ever in our time in history, the household is deteriorating. Sure, we live in a land where on the outside we have the lure of success. If you look at the land in which God has placed us to live and move and have our being, the United States of America, we were put here. You didn't choose it. You know, God put you here to live and to worship and to spread his kingdom. If you look on the outside, everything still has the allure of success. But there is severe damage in the foundation. Like when you go to repair an old house, you can change the siding, you can replace the roof, you can even buy the most expensive real wood front door. But if the foundation is crumbling, the house will fall. Now let me give you a qualifier before I continue. I do not think, with all of my heart, church, I do not think Christians are to live as alarmists. This is to say we should not be continually chasing the next headline, sharing it, talking about it, and stressing over it. We must stop that. There is always something to be concerned about, and I think it is quite unhealthy to live as professional pessimists. But when it comes to the destruction of the household, we are far past the alarming state. We are at a critical moment in our lives. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12. He said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Whether you choose to see it or not, or just generally see it or not, we are at war with the powers and principalities of this world. And by all accounts, the Christian household has been fighting the enemy with a dull sword. Marriage is not viewed as a worthy and necessary institution. Children are seen as inconvenient and just too darn expensive to bear. Fathers are absent, even if they live in the home. Mothers are left to be both father and mother, raising a generation of confused and anxious children. Same-sex legal unions are celebrated. And dare I say that what I have just described is not only the attitude of the enemies of God, but a large portion of the modern-day evangelical church. God has established the household as the building block of any society. Any and every civilization is built by men who have families to feed and husbands and wives who have children to raise. That is how societies are built. God has established the household as the very building block of any society, but little by little, the household has been deteriorating. And this is because we love our sin more than we love Christ. If you would, please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Let me read to you, as you follow along, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And as you follow along, or you hear the word of God read to you, I want you to consider whether any of this is relevant for today. 
Is any of this relevant for today? Romans chapter 1. It's in the New Testament, which is at the right side of your Bible. If you don't know what page number it's on, there is something in the front of your Bible that will tell you. If you have an app, it's really easy. Just click on the word Romans. Romans chapter 1, the letter written to the church in Rome. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy things. Sorry, creeping, not creepy. All insects are cool. They're not creepy, right? They're creeping. Says the three-year-old with a handful of bugs in the house, right? Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It was the great prophet Isaiah who said, Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil. Another bit of disclaimer. Last week I recognized there was an hour break in between services. So hang on tight. I heard I did not go as long as Pastor Ray, so I got plenty of room. <laughs> I thought, man, I could have kept on going. It is not a stretch to say that the judgment we read in Romans 1 is not unfolding before us today and has been for some time. Now, although we do not see a physical idol described as we 
maybe would see here in Romans chapter 1, a physical statue, something to be worshipped, a, a carved image of a creeping thing or an animal or a bird. We are witnessing the full-blown worship of a false god, a new religion, a new paganism. Our nation's courts ruled the Obergefell decision in 2019, which celebrated the union of same-sex couples. And when I say celebrated, we celebrated hard by lighting up the symbol of freedom, our White House, with the colors of the pride flag, so that all the world would see this new perverse edict of the land. The Equality Act, which was a major platform for President Joe Biden, is equal parts evil and treacherous. It will not allow for the Christian or any other religion, for that matter, to love their neighbors well by not celebrating a lifestyle of sin. Instead, this act will force everyone by rule of law to accept and celebrate the kind of perverse sins which brought about the judgment of God we just read about in Romans chapter 1. What we are witnessing is man's foolish attempt to live as though God does not exist. It's the great song, there's no heaven above, no hell below, above us only sky. We have took that whole thing and just embodied it. This is man's foolish attempt to live as though God does not exist. People have lost themselves in the worship of their sin. And nothing has been more affected by this denial of God than the government of the family. This is important to understand as the church. Because if you believe that the unbeliever, those who do not worship Christ as king yet which is a glorious hope, amen? Yet, if you believe that the unbeliever's ideas of life and godliness are neutral, you are mistaken. Those who support the truth and who suppress the truth in unrighteousness will continue to destroy that which has been called good by God. Christians also often get backed into a corner and say, you can, you can live here, but you have to remain neutral. You can't bring that Jesus guy over here. But church, they're not abiding by the same rule. So, what do we do? Despair? Complain? Become professional pessimists? What do we do and where do we turn? Now, that which has been set up to this point seems pretty drab, and we don't come to church for that. We come to church to be reminded that Jesus is Lord, and he is our king. Amen? But that's where we start. Because the family of government is under attack, we must start just like we did his last week, that Jesus is Lord. And he is reigning. And he will reign until all his enemies are under his feet. And one day, family, one day our last enemy, death, will be defeated. Christ has won the victory. So we ought not live in despair. So when we speak of how the world is or what is going on around us, we ought not despair because God is faithful. The grass and the may, what does the verse say? The grass may fade and the flower wither. You know, I didn't mean to be blasphemous. But, but the word of the Lord will remain. For all of eternity, the word of God will remain. It's not going anywhere. 
But as we reflect on these issues the next couple of weeks, I do hope that the reality of our world will sober you up. I hope that you, as I have been, as we have been 20 miles south of you, challenged to think about how we are representing our Lord to the world. More than anything this morning, I hope you consider your household. Is it ordered according to Christ? Ask yourself, is this house a slave to righteousness? Do we worship Jesus as king? Are we fleeing youthful passions, submitting ourselves to God? Have we taken off the old and put on the new? Or are we followers of Jesus by name only? Because church, if that is you, a nominal follower of Jesus only, you're not helping yourself or your neighbor. You're destroying both. Ask yourself, do you truly love your neighbor? The second greatest commandment, and you ought, and I'm sure you do. We touched on this a bit last week. Loving our neighbors well, loving them as ourselves, means wanting for them what has been given to us. We want eyes to be opened. We want hearts to be renewed. We want the dead to be raised. Amen? You ought to want for your unbelieving neighbor what Christ has done for you. And the most effective witness for that neighbor, although they hate God and have turned from him and are destroying their lives minute by minute, is for you to sit there in front of them and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. Not celebrate their sin. The answer is always the gospel, and we know this. God sent Jesus into the world. What does John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember last week, the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for it all. Amen? There is not a square inch of our existence of which Christ does not say, mine. From the wobbly, sticky person running around here this morning to the planet we have yet to discover, all of it, his. And we ought to live like we believe that. And in the words of Francis Schaeffer, a man I read a lot of, and you should as well, how then should we live? How then shall we live if this is true? If we love our neighbors and if we wish to see them set free from the bondage of sin, set free to worship, to become slaves of Christ, how then ought we to live? In church, it starts first with you and your household. Judgment starts in the house of God. Stop pointing the finger at people who don't believe like you. What do you expect? We point at unbelievers and say, I can't believe you're living like that. I can. Because I did. Before Christ raised these dead bones to life. What are we to do? And if you want a big idea, if you're taking notes, I'm, I'm going to be all over the place. I, I try to be, you know. The big idea is found in Ephesians chapter 5. So go ahead and turn there. All of this is set up for us to understand the importance of a rightly ordered home. The witness of the Christian household. I'd like to read the first two verses of Ephesians chapter 5 and then skip down to verse 22 because I'm going to be referring to all of it eventually. 
Ephesians is to the right of the letter of Romans. Again, if you don't know where it is, there's a page number in the front, or just touch the app like most of you are doing. Paul writes to the ancient church in Ephesus, and he says, therefore be imitators of God. Now the therefore is therefore for a reason, but we're not going to go through chapters 1 through 4. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be imitators of God. Hold on to that. Down to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Ladies are like, not again. <laughs> that's, a, that's a joke. For the husband is the head of the wife, even if Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself his savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And now the wives are saying, let's just be done and leave. That's it right there, preacher. Preach, preacher. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She might be holy and without blemish. The same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And all God's people said, <laughs> And I am sure... And I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let his wife see that she respects her husband. Chapter 6, first few verses. I didn't leave you out, kids. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It is safe to assume that before the proclamation of the gospel in Ephesus, every man, woman, and child, every family of that ancient city was governed, controlled, rather was governed and controlled by the worship of the false god Artemis, otherwise known as Diana. The temple was in the middle of the city, and it was actually referred to as the eighth wonder of the world at one time. It was a massive structure, and the entire ancient city revolved around the worship of an ancient rock that fell from the sky. That's what happened. Every life in that city before the gospel was subjected to her worship. All hopes, every dream, every fear, subject to the whims of an evil idea that a rock which fell from the sky was to be worshipped as holy and transcendent. Now, it may seem weird to us, and we may look back in ancient Ephesus and say, man, cave people, worshipping a stone? Church. People haven't changed. We've just gotten iPhones, okay? We're always, we've always been the same. We always are bent on worshiping that which is creation rather than the creator. 
In our day, just as in the city of Ephesus, we are becoming a people ruled by the false worship of pagan gods. And if you want to get a glimpse of what this is like, we can go back to Romans chapter 1, but that would belabor the point. We can look at Psalm 135. Write this down, Psalm 135, verses 15 through 18. This is what the psalmist says. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. They have eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouth. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. This is what it looks like when people worship images carved of wood, gold, and stone, instead of worshiping the one who created all things. And it is in this context the Apostle Paul gives the household code to the church at Ephesus. A church is planted, the gospel flourishes, it's an amazing miracle of God. People are free from the false worship of creation. They are welcomed into the household of God. Their eyes are open. Their hearts are restored. Their sins are forgiven. They're cleansed. There's no shame. There's no guilt. New life ahead of them. And you have to wonder, they think, what now? Do I have to go to the temple? Do I involve myself in those shameless acts which we ought not speak of, of what goes on in the temple? What do I do? God says, hey, don't worry. I got you covered. Here's what a rightly ordered home in Christ looks like. Here has been the plan of God from the beginning for your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. Paul gives the household code to the church in Ephesus. So I want you to think of the letter of Ephesians and specifically this portion of Ephesians as really Paul's wartime manifesto. He is preparing the church in Ephesus to battle the pagan god Artemis so that what they would do would be a witness to that city. And through their witness, people would come and bow to King Jesus. And you think, oh, what does he do? Does he train them evangelism? Does he give them a really witty word so that they can destroy all the arguments of the pagan? Ooh, maybe he really focuses on creation, which we love to do. Nope. Paul says, get your home in order. That's where the power was. That's what Paul told the church in Ephesus would have a greater witness in that city. Order your home in Christ. Paul knew that the fight for the household in the ancient city of Ephesus was to fight for the kingdom of heaven and the entire cosmos. That's what Paul knew. In his book, The Family and the War for the Cosmos, and just by the title alone, I had to buy it and read it because you just don't hear those things. The Christian Household, The Family and the War for the Cosmos, C.R. Wiley writes, that's really his name, C.R. Wiley writes, to fight for the household is to fight for the cosmos. Christians have been given suits of armor and they are duty-bound to fight for the household of God. But like Christians in the first century, we are hopelessly outmatched on the ground. The principalities continue to rage against the Lord of the cosmos. Their inhumane machinery menaces us, particularly in the West. The state continues to grow and centralize. Technology tracks us and is increasingly used to manipulate us. Progressive multinational corporations standardize us and commodify us. Popular media seeks to indoctrinate us and addict us. 
and the state-run education and healthcare are eliminating private rivals so as to make sure no dependent, no more, no, uh, so to make sure that everyone is dependent on the government largesse. Now, in spite of all of these things, Christ has already won. He is our Lord, and we are engaged in a long obedience. We wrestle with the enemies of God. And our way of war was described by Paul in Ephesians. Now, you think back to Alexander the Great. He swept across the east, and he left behind him a trail of 70 cities bearing his name. And one for his horse. You know. Which kind of fits in this place out here. People are like, yay, the horse. Now, 70 cities bear his name and one for his horse. And it was more than an ego trip. They serve as a purpose. It, he, Alexander the Great had a purpose in naming 70 cities after him. Naturally, Paul knew all about them. And the greatest of these is still an important city today, Alexandria in Egypt. Those cities helped to promote the Greek way of life in the regions of his conquest. They were model communities, gifts of the divine Alexander to help enlighten his new subjects. Think about the churches that Paul planted. The churches Paul planted throughout the Roman Empire would serve in the exact same way. And in those houses of God, the house stewards worked to make sure that these communities put the benefits of Christ's rule on display right before the powers and principalities of this world. Now, of course, the very first benefit of being a part of the church, the members of the church, is Christ himself. Word and sacrament serve as the stairway to heaven, as well as a virtual time machine. When we gather for worship, we rise to the heavenly places and are seated with our risen Lord. We're also sent into the past to sit at the feet of the apostles and the prophets. We're flung into the future where we, by faith, discern all the things that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is important to keep these things in mind because when we turn the church into a water girl for secular culture in the name of relevance, the church loses her touch with the standard that guides her. When the church chases the world, she loses herself. But when the church chases heaven, she gains the world and she conquers the cosmos. Church, we have the fulcrum of the world in our possession, the household of God. And it gives us leverage. And the principalities of this world know this. And this is why they obsessively work to break it down. You wonder why your seemingly small stake or plot of land with your sticky, rebellious kids means so much to the powers and principalities. You wonder how in the world, I mean, we can't even barely figure out how to get through Monday. They think we're a threat. They do. They know you're a threat. Just remember that a household ordered by the household code in Ephesians reflects the rule of Christ. Besides this, all things connect. The little tune of your household, that little song you sing when you're functioning under the reign of Jesus Christ is in harmony with the music of the rest of creation and all of the atmosphere. And that harmony restores many things that the enemy attempts to pervert. The reason 
the Christian household has leverage is that it is natural. It is right. It is good. It is true. It is beautiful. The household code perfects its structure by ordering it to align with its true purpose, which is Christ. So if you don't hear anything today other than what I say now, go home and build a house. Just as Nehemiah was called to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, read the book of Nehemiah. It's not the walls he's concerned about. It's the people he's concerned about. He goes to build a wall, but God sends him to build a people to worship his great name. Go home and build a house, and if you do it the right way, you will give the world a glimpse of things to come. There is nothing more terrifying to the enemies of God and the powers and principality of this world than the Christian home. Because in the end, just so you know, if you want to know the end of the story, which most of us ought to know, the principalities will bow and confess Lord as Christ. And if your house is ordered well, it is a glorious reminder of that day that we're told about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Where at that time, every knee, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? And as hard as that is to imagine today, when at the end of the war for the cosmos, when we worship Christ for all of eternity, when those tribunal war crime panels are structured, you and I, because of what Christ has done, will sit behind that bench. Because 1 Corinthians 6, 3 tells us, do you not know that we are to judge the angels? How much more then pertaining to the things of this life? Church, do not be ashamed of what God has called you to. You will judge the angels. When you read Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, you're not reading a list of suggestions. You are reading the glorious war plan of how, God, how Christ in God is making all things new. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. That which has been lost in the garden, a unified husband and wife of Adam and Eve, is now being restored in Christ day by day by day all over the globe. And it's glorious. And the reasons why the Christian household has been constantly attacked by the powers and principalities of this world is because the enemies of God understand just how powerful a rightly ordered home is. Did you think that ever in your day, no matter where you are in the age spectrum here, that a rightly ordered Christian home would be considered colonizing and racist. That's what it's considered. Destructive to the welfare of society. A household code that says men are men and women are women and children are to be cherished is the problem. And you don't think that little plot of land you're building on has power? 
It does. Toby Sumter, the author of the book Mere Mortals, he plays on this idea that C.S. Lewis once said a long time ago that everyone is immortal. They either end up as a very nasty thing which, which you would never want to spend eternity with or something glorious in heaven. He says a rightly ordered home is like a nuclear power plant. It provides the power everything else needs in order to run on. And our nation is just playing hot potato with titanium or whatever powers nuclear plants. Somebody will probably correct me after the service. Not titanium. Joel's like, no, John, no. <laughs> Plutonium? No, okay. Think about a nuclear power plant and how massive and how important they are to generating power. And the world is just like, let's just throw it around for a while, see what happens. It's exploded in their face. A rightly ordered home is like a nuclear power plant. It provides the power that everything else in this culture needs to run on. Martin Luther said this, if I profess, hear this church, one of the convictions we've had down the road is that we've forgotten the people that came before us. There are so many faithful men and women who have walked with Christ before us. We need to look back and see what they've struggled with. Martin Luther said, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition of every portion of the truth of God, except precisely that, that little point which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, if I speak the rightful word about everything the Bible says, yet neglect that moment, that verse, that structure, which the devil and all of his minions are at this moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However, boldly, I might be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield, besides, is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that one point. Where the battle rages, the reign of Christ ought to be. So I want to begin to close, and you know what that means. And I want to look at Ephesians 5 and 6, and not necessarily exposit what was said and why it was said and how you're supposed to apply it, but I want to just rifle through a bunch of applications and rather exhortations for you. You are a thriving, healthy church, and I know this because I came from here. Did you know that you, in all of your glory, in all of your obedience, in all of your generosity, 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 has helped a little unknown church 20 miles south baptize over 55 people in four years? I don't stand here to, you don't need to hear application from me. You guys got it down. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6. And let me encourage you to really hear what it says. First, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, be imitators of God. This is the first and foremost important thing of your household. Imitate God. Everyone and everything in your home ought to glorify God. The Bible says to do it, you do it. 
the Bible says to leave it alone, leave it alone. Do not go on a crusade to defend the scriptures. Just believe it. That's defense enough. Believe the Bible. Let all things be done to the glory of God. When you imitate God in your home, your salt will be salty and your light will burn bright. That is enough. Besides, you're not creative or cool enough anyways. Just let God do all the work. A word to fathers. Imitate the triune God of Scripture before your family. Imitate the triune God of Scripture before your family. And here's, this is really important, because fathers, oftentimes, I myself in the past, and we need to repent of this, we need to change from this, we need to seek godly wisdom and counsel because of this, we do not imitate the triune God of Scriptures to our families, we often imitate false idols to our families. If you abdicate your fatherhood responsibilities, or you're just not around, you're imitating atheism, a God who is not there. That's what your family sees. If you are present in the home but not interested, you're imitating deism, a God who is responsible for all things but never intervenes. If you're crotchety and angry, forcing your family to walk on eggshells, you're imitating Islam. Because he is all by himself, and he always demands everything, and he's angry. And if you don't do it, you never know what's coming next. If you are an indulgent father, giving your family whatever they want, you're imitating the current god of romantic sentimentalism. Indulgent fathers who never say no hate their families, because the Bible says the Lord loves those whom he disciplines. Some of your teenage children are begging you to say no. And they're giving you plenty of opportunities to do it. They're begging you to say, no, you're mine. This is for your good. Disciplining children gives them an identity. A word to wives and mothers. Be imitators of God and not imitators of those who seek to destroy the glorious calling of that which you've been called. You walk in the footsteps of Eve, the mother of all the living. Without Christian wives and mothers, husbands do not conquer. Children are not raised as arrows in the hands of a warrior. This world has nothing to offer you. Christ is all things. Amen? It's easy for me to rip on the guys, because I am one. And I understand that this world doesn't really want warriors anymore unless they need them. You know, they're toxic unless muscles are needed and all of a sudden they're cool again. But what this world has been on a crusade to do is undermine the glory of women. It has told you to be all the women you could be, you have to actually be a man. How confusing is that? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Respect him. If you are a wife, God has given you a husband, for better or for worse, and you said it. All right? You agree to that one. You were there. 
submit to him. Respect him. Because respect is the fuel he runs on. Yes, your love is important and you are to love your husbands. The Bible also says that as well. But men run on diesel, and diesel is respect. Also, Paul does not say respect your husbands if he's respectable. That will be enough for you to think about for the rest of the day. God commands to our weaknesses. So the fact that Paul tells us this is telling you, you don't like to do this. Imitate God and that while you were still a sinner, Christ came to die for you. Respect your husband and pray he becomes a respectable man. Men do not squander the respect of a good wife. Do not allow him to sulk. If you're a wife, complain, walk around like a wet dog in the rain. Lift him up, look him in the eye, and tell him to go conquer and be who Christ has told him to be. Also, to those mothers going at this alone, we see you and we love you. Now, the problem is we don't know how to help you because you don't tell us. It's hard for the church to know where to step in and help because you are alone. And so if you are a mother going out alone at this church, make your concerns known, receive godly counsel and wisdom from a couple, and let them support your mission. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Men, you were created to take dominion and subdue creation. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Be like your Lord and Savior. Kill the dragon, get the girl. Because that's what Jesus did. He crushed the head of the serpent and he won his bride. That's all of life. Defend your home and mature your family. That's another thing from Nehemiah. What does he say? Defend your daughters, defend your sons, defend your wives. Be the Lord of your home. Now the women are like, wait a minute. Stop. Listen, Peter says that Sarah called Abraham Lord. And the, one of the greatest lies, it's not really a lie, it's, it's a sneaky one, that has affected the Christian household is that servant leadership has been the phrase that every man has been forced fed for a long time. Yes, serve your wives. But when Jesus bent down to wash the feet of the disciples, he washed the feet of the disciples as the king of the cosmos. He did not cease to be Lord. You are responsible for the little plot of land God has given you. Be Lord over it, and that comes with a crown of thorns, which means you give your very life till the last breath so that your home would flourish. Amen? That's what you do. Quit abdicating it. Quit saying, I don't know. Make a decision and lead. Serve your family with joy and gladness. Enjoy the wife of your youth. Praise God for her innumerable blessings. Love your wife well. You run on respect. She runs on love. Sacrifice for her. 
give her what she needs to build a home, support her, make sure her kids honor and praise her continually, protect her from the flaming darts of the evil one, wash her with the water of the word, encourage her, be her guiding light, slay the enemy, chop the head off the giant. That's extra, but that's like guy language. (laughs) Defend her with everything you have, heart, soul, and mind. And when she asks for your opinion, stop saying, I don't know. She's asking for a reason. Make a decision. It's not toxic. It's biblical. Number four, children are to obey and honor their parents. Children, I did not leave you out. I did not leave you out. And it is good to see you here. Children are never in the way. They are never an annoyance. They are always and forever a blessing, a fruit of the womb. Amen? I better end soon. Children, you are a heritage, a gift from God. And we pray that you receive Christ and become baptized into his church. And God commands you to obey your father and mother. And when you do, there is a fantastic promise associated with that. It will go well for you in the land. Just as your parents were blessed with you, so we hope you are blessed with children as well. Do not believe the lie. This world has nothing to offer. Because 1 John chapter 2, 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world or the things of this world, because if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We didn't plan that. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world. And this world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, because those who do the will of Christ will abide forever. The world, more than ever before, is attempting to recruit you into the life of lust and pleasure, of self-loathing and self-pity. While the youth of America are busy throwing bricks, disrespecting authority, and burning down cities, you ought to be busy learning how to rebuild that which has been lost. And if you are a parent of a child, it's time for you to look two generations down the road. Your task now is to give your life, to hand your children something to build upon we probably will not see the fruit of our labor if you are my age or older in our lifetime. We have lost a tremendous portion of what God has given us, and it's time for us to set up our children so that they would be salt and light. Honor God with your whole life, and you will walk in his blessing. Fathers are responsible for the instructing and discipline of their children. Fathers, you know better. You better know what is entering the heart and the mind of your child. Now more than ever, the war we are fighting is over the dictionary. Words matter. Now more than ever, words matter. Teach them what is true, what is good, and what is beautiful. Give them Christ. Raise them to be salty, bright, and dangerous. An arrow that pierces, not like the dart ones that sting. You know, the Nerf one that just stings. Shoot them out into culture. Allow them to be the story in someone's life who brought them to Christ and raised them from the dead. It's time to release your children. Do not loathe the life they're going to live. Prepare them to receive all things with joy and gladness. This is our Father's world. Christ is King. He will be their guide. Teach them how to slay dragons because the world is full of them. Parents, 
I, I promise you I'm almost done. Just think that you will have thousands of descendants. Thousands. Think of that. The medium-sized family will have thousands of people that come after you. My mother has a family tree given to her by her aunt. My mom is one of nine siblings. Her aunt didn't have any kids, so she hand-drew a family tree that stretches back to 1,600. And I lost count of how many people are in that family tree. Me at the bottom. Parents, it does not end with a child sitting next to you. They will grow up to be husbands and wives, mothers and fathers. And so you give them Christ because he is a solid rock when all else will give way. He is the solid rock. Last, the Christian household, Paul says, was given to the world so that we would see the gospel. It is a mystery. It is. Two sinners committed their lives together, love and hate all mixed in, a bunch of sticky kids being mean, bills to pay, forgiveness to receive, repentance to to pursue. All of it is hard and it is tough. But Paul says that marriage is a mystery. And he also says that marriage is a picture of the gospel. So order your homes according to Christ, because he fills all things. Order your homes according to Christ, and watch that little mustard seed of the kingdom grow into a tree where the whole world will seek refuge. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the church. I ask that you would draw a straight line with every crooked one I just scribbled. We believe in the Holy Spirit, and so we ask him now to come and fill us and correct us and convict us and restore us. Give us the strength we need to be mocked, scorned, and jeered. Give us the strength we need to be faithful to Christ and to Christ alone. We ask that you would bless our families, bless our children, bless our marriages. In Jesus' great and powerful name we pray, amen.